top resume is a solid service to get you a better resume. Reasonably priced. It's not a premium service. It's for people like you and I who can afford a certain amount of money and also need a great result. And even better, they have a plan through a firm that allows you to stretch your payments for service over the course of the year to something like 20 some odd dollars or 30 some odd dollars per month so that you don't have to write a large check, which right now, if you're not working, is really important to you. So use the link in the show notes. It will help you get a resume and if you want a LinkedIn profile done for you very inexpensively. This is No BS Job Search Advice Radio, episode 2091. I'm your host, Jeff Alton, the Big Game Hunter, and welcome. Here's the truth about this episode. I recorded it pre-COVID. It wound up on YouTube. It never made it into the podcast. And um, I stumbled into it by accident, and I I won't tell you what I said to myself at the time. I'll just simply say, I want to make sure that you hear the show. This is an interview I did with Tracy Tim, where we talk about helping people who are unsure about what they want to do next in their career and figuring out what's right for them. Hope you find it helpful. Hope you give it a good review. How about this one? A truthful review wherever you listen to the show. And we'll be back in just one moment. Support for today's show comes from CareerFitter. CareerFitter is a site where they give you a 60-question test. takes about 10 minutes. And out of that, they're going to give you recommendations basically for your ideal business environment, a team-building approach, career matches, work strengths, income potential based upon job matching, preferred communications uh, methods, weaknesses that you may have, a whole host of things. They'll give you a free report. They have a premium report as well. Quality service recommended by Forbes, Psychology Today, and quite a few others. So use the link in the show notes. It will help you start to figure out some of the things you might consider with a new career. And if you hire me to coach you, I'll give you a little bit of a discount and reimburse you for some of the cost of the premium uh, report because it'll help us both with coaching. And now let's get going. Tracy Tim is a career clarity expert. Can't wait to find out what that is. And human capital advisor. She's created a program called the Nth Degree, which you can find out more about at tracytim.com. She helps high potential professionals discover their career sweet spot so they can love what they do. And you know, we all want to do that at some point in our life. Be awesome at their craft, have an impact on the world, and make a lot of money at the same time. She's worked over the last five years with hundreds of professionals and helped them find and secure dream jobs. And hundreds of companies attract, engage, and retain top talent. Tracy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, lovely introduction. I appreciate it. Or campy introduction, however you want to say it. Yes, I love it. (laughs) Clarity coach. How does someone become a clarity coach? 
It is probably the most popular question I get uh, because when I started out in this industry, you know, everybody does career coaching or career strategy. And I realized that a strategy that would actually set me apart would be to focus on the clarity piece of the career search process. Meaning there are so many people out there that do, uh, you know, placement or work with your resume or help with cover letters or make you a better interviewer. But there are so few people who touch on what I really think is the actual thing that we need to diagnose and not the symptom, which is the fact that most of us really don't know what the heck we want to do and what we're looking for in the first place. And so I got into this business because that exact thing happened to me as, as you know, a lot of entrepreneurs uh, tend to solve their own problems and then realize, Hey, I think I might not be the only one, or I bet I can help somebody out with this. So my journey started with a job that I hated as does the journey of most of my clients. And, and thus, what I looked at your LinkedIn profile, human capital advisor, uh, which I know no little boy or girl when they're six years old grows up wanting to be. So what was your journey into discovering your clarity? How did you get detoured and then have to figure it out? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love my story now. It was definitely not a fun thing to go through at the time as you think? young people. Uh, but I had the quintessential like quarter life crisis. And honestly, I walked right into it without really uh, realizing that that's what was happening. But I, like a lot of people my age, um, you know, we were raised really, really busy and checked a lot of boxes along the way. Get the right, you know, get the best grades, play the right sport, play an instrument, be in National Honor Society, like check, 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 right? And uh, and all of that was meant to get us into the best school possible. And so I- Which checked, was? I went to Yale, so I checked that box and I played softball there and checked that box. And, uh, and then I found something that I love to study, which was psychology. And I'm so thankful for that because a lot of the people that I work with now have degrees in something that seemed practical or they could get a job in or maybe their parents uh, pushed them to do and, and now they don't use it at all. But thankfully, um, I found psychology and fell in love with it. However, um, and this is where the clarity piece starts to come in, is that it's not very clear what you might do with a degree in psychology if you don't want to immediately become a therapist or a counselor or do maybe even sports psychology. So a lot of the advice I got along the way really just wasn't that applicable. And Yale was the kind of place where, and there, there's probably a lot of people who are listening who had this experience too. I mean, we got recruited really heavily by some very specific types of companies. And so without knowing what I wanted to do and without being very clear on what my values were and where I, where I added value and what I was naturally gifted at or even you know what the best work environment would be for me, I, um, I just went with the recruiting process. And so I got recruited by a financial firm um, and I worked, you know, in sales and trading for a global investment bank for two and a half years after I graduated. And, you know, the reason that I do what I do now is that I was the epitome of misery. Like, I don't know if you've had a job you hated, um, but I think most of us have. <laughs> and whether that's, you know, the high school job you had waiting tables or you had a summer working for UPS and you lived in Texas and you sweated your tail off or, or you worked for two and a half years for a company like I did where every day I just dreaded going into the office. I would have left, I would have run and not walked out the door had I just known what I wanted to do. The only thing keeping me there was like, Okay, I have this degree, I have this experience, I have no idea how to put them together or how to talk about my experience in a way that would make sense to a company. Um, so I called up my university and just asked for 
anything, a resource, a, a book, a strategy, a, co a coach, like, and, and they were- and, and the response was to say, huh? Yeah, exactly. The response was like, well, we can introduce you to another company or we could help you with your resume or we could, you know, they had resources in, in a sense, but nothing on the clarity side. And I just remembered thinking, I can't be the only person who, who has promise and has potential and, and, and has been like a glorified black belt box checker their whole life. So, you know, they can perform. They just don't know where they want to unleash that potential so to speak. It's as though when you were a child, no one ever asked you the question, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, you know, and, I and think- have the answer really stick with you. Yes, I think the, the assumed sort of response was everything that I was doing, I was doing for a very clear next step. And when you graduate college, there's no clear next step. And that's why a lot of people are running into this crisis and you know, 24, 25, 26, 30, whatever, is because they're finally realizing like, oh, I, I could do whatever I want. And it's this first sort of realization of the, the idea that there's not one path of success. And, and most of us hit it because I think we followed what we thought was the one path to success and it led to something that was really unsavory. You get on the conveyor belt. And yes, I love the conveyor belt analogy. I use that all the time. So true. It, it moves you along the process. I'm going to let you in on a secret, Tracy. It's not just 20s or 30. Sometimes it takes people a lot longer to wake up and realize is this all there is? You're so right. And, and you know, a lot of our marketing goes directly towards quote, the quote unquote young professionals. So 20s and 30s and really highly motivated, high potential. The oldest person we've had in any of our programs is 55. And she was like, this is the first time in my life where I'm actually owning what I want and use and defining success the way I want to. And you've allowed me to do that. So that was a pretty cool breakthrough. And this clarity for you is the process of understanding or getting clear on what serves you. And not you personally, but what a person as an individual, yes. what their needs are, what their wants are, instead of just saying, you know, abdicating responsibility to big mommy or big daddy corporation. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a terrifyingly simple process when you think about it. But, oh, good, because we're going to go we, into it. <laughs> but we, um, so many of us just don't take the time to do it, right? And, and the easiest thing to do is the, is the path of least resistance, which is just continuing to go to the same job and continuing to complain and continuing to hope that the next raise or the next promotion or if I get to travel more or if I have more days off, like that's going to make the big difference. When the reality is tons of us are either working in it's one of three things and I call them your now, your nature and your nurture. Your now is your values and your commitments. So likely you're not living in line with those based on what you're doing or your nature, which is what naturally comes to you, your gifts, your talents, but also your personality and your behavior. So you're likely in an environment that's not conducive to the type of person that you naturally are. Or it's your nurture, meaning all of your learned experiences over time. So your knowledge, your skills, your expertise. If you're not in a place where you can leverage any of those things, then you feel really like you can't have an impact or you're not working at your fullest potential. You're a cog in the machine, basically. Yeah. So it's usually, it's just those three things. And, and the cool thing is you can reverse engineer what your ideal work environment is, what your ideal subject matter is, who you want to serve, how you want to do work by 
getting really clear on each of those three components. So where does someone start? How do we engage them and tempt them so they want to come back to you? Enough, <laughs> en enough of a, um, <laughs> a, uh, an appetizer for them. So how does someone start this process? So the very, so within our foundational program, the very first thing that we get clear on is your now. And your now has a couple components. First and foremost, I'm a big fan of living in reality. I don't want to create an army of starving artists. I don't want to have people who can't pay their bills. And I certainly don't want to incentivize people to become like the best volunteers in the world and completely give up, you know, income for impact, right? So, so we've got to get really clear on like, what are the circumstances of your life? Because a person who's married with two kids has has a totally different set of choices. They're not better or worse. They're just different than somebody who's 25 and doesn't even have a cat. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it really takes getting serious about your, your circumstances of your life. What is your reality right now? What are the bare minimum things you need to take care of from a financial perspective and just from a personal perspective? And we do that through a life audit. But really the most important part, I think, and the most foundational piece of this process in the now phase is getting really clear on your values. And core values, not a new concept, right? Like people- I want you to define it for the audience because I don't want to assume anything uh, from the people who watch or listen to this. I yeah. want to make sure that they, that we're speaking the same language. So we yeah. have impact for them. Absolutely. So how would you define a core value and how would someone think of what their values are? So this is a really good question. So we have a five-step process for defining your core values, but I'll just, I'll simplify it for the sake of this conversation. So you're, here, here's the easiest way to think about your values. Every single thing you do, everything you spend your money on, every person you allow into your life, some way shows the world and shows you what you value. That's just true, right? But the, the reality that I just came upon and was like, oh crap, like this is not good for most of us, is that how many of us actually set out our values before we spend money or allow people into our lives or decide what we're going to do? You no know, one. Work, right? So yeah. we don't. But, but, but what we don't realize is even without having set them in the first place, we are living out some set of values just because we're alive and living and doing things in the world, right? So what we can figure out, how we can figure out what your actual values are is to go all the way back to the drawing board and ask yourself some really basic questions. Like what brings me joy or what can, what do I find myself doing that when I'm doing it, time goes away. I experience flow or I even, this is super basic, I love to just go back to a list. There's a great core values, it's literally corevalueslist.com, I think, that has a list of 500 core value words. And I read it and I just wait for a word to resonate with me. And some years and some seasons of life, you're gonna resonate with very different values, right? If, I, if I'm single, then married, then have kids, then have a job that I love, like your value set just changes over time naturally. And so we wanna work with that, we don't wanna fight it. Um, so I find that if you ask yourself, what does this value mean to me? Why is it important to me? And most importantly, what happens when I don't have it? Then you can really uncover whether or not that's a true core value 
uh, that you can see yourself living. But here's the thing. We, like I said, core value is not a new thing. What I like to do is, is kick them up a notch and turn your core values into commitments. And I learned this process from an executive here in Dallas. So basically, this is super simple, you guys, but basically, and I, I do it now every year, at least once a year, so that I know what my commitments are ahead of time because it simplifies your decision-making process. And I'll say that again in a moment. Uh, but basically, he and his wife, literally at the beginning of every year, they just sit, sit down and they set their family's commitments. This is what our family's committed to this year. And some of them are, are pretty big and deep, like... Um, uh, we're going to live in Texas until our kids graduate from high school, or at least for the next year, because I want to keep them in the same school, what have you. And then some of them, for them, were like pretty, what, what most people would say, like cursory, like not that, not seemingly not that important. Like they loved um, old homes, so they were committed to living in an area that had old homes to choose from or be surrounded by or whatever. To me, I was just like, that seems kind of throwaway, but to them, it was a commitment. Um, so I say that to make sure that people realize your commitments don't have to be these groundbreaking, you know, I have, I have to impact the world in this massive way. They could just be like, you, you like old homes, so you want to live near an old home. Um, so that being said, what they did then was set those commitments in advance, and anytime opportunities came into the family, they would run those opportunities by the commitments. And he was like, case in point, I got a call last week from a company who wanted to recruit me uh, as a CEO of this new business. And he was a senior executive in Dallas. So very much a good opportunity for him. And he looked at his core value or his commitments. And number one was living in Texas and this company wasn't in Texas. And so he could very easily without losing sleep, without worrying about it, without being distracted, without the, you know, the weeks and the months we spend contemplating things that are total non-starters, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't have to blink an eye. He just said, you know what? That doesn't align with our family's commitments. I really appreciate the opportunity. If you ever have anything in Texas, let me know. And it's so interesting. I'm gonna pause you here for one yes. second because the notion of commitment in our culture these days is so strange to say. That's a people. great point. That, you know, commitments are something that vary based upon the current whim. And that's obviously not a commitment. It's, you know, to me, a commitment is something that you stake your reputation, your life to, it has meaning to you. And as a result, this is something that our culture, the bigger culture, doesn't value as much as uh, I believe it should. And it's, part, and it's part of the reason why people get on the conveyor belt. It's part of that abdicating responsibility to someone else for looking out for them and their life. Yeah. Better, better to be that feather in the wind from the Forrest Gump movie. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it might not be better, but it's so much easier, right? Like, like at first glance, not being committed to much of anything is like, woo, I can do whatever I want. But like any, um, any athlete, any military person will tell you, anybody who's committed any sort of like high level of um, discipline in their life, discipline is freeing. Yes. Like here, the cool thing about the set of commitments is like when you're committed to them, you're free from the whims of like, oh my gosh, I really have to consider this opportunity because the raise and the blah, 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 blah. Well, the reality is there's possibly a commitment in your list that if you had set them in advance, you could very easily just go down like a waterfall and say, crap, this doesn't hit commitment number five. That means it's definitely not gonna hit six, seven, eight, nine, or 10. And so that's out. 
And it's just so freeing because you stop beating yourself up. You stop feeling guilty. You stop second guessing your decisions. You stop over analyzing things that quite frankly, aren't going to make you happy. They're just distractions. And, you know, I, I have to redo this process every single year because I, I really try to practice what I preach. And so even when I'm setting out my business goals, I go back to the basics and I figure out how have my core values changed. In this year in particular, I did it twice because I thought I had done it. I just didn't take into account that I had actually met somebody that I, um, you know, think might end up being the one, right? And so then I had to reevaluate again, like where am I spending my time and why? And do I need to feel guilty when I'm with him or do I need to feel guilty when I'm at the business? Well, the reality is no, I never need to feel guilty if ahead of, a time, if ahead of time I set my values and my commitments and I live by them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I just, I get up on my soapbox a little bit about this because I just can't, people fight it because they feel confined. Like every time I, use, I do this with a, with a client in our foundational program, they're like, but what if I miss something? What if, what if I'm going too narrow? What if I'm not being open enough? It, imagine like there's a, um, there's a barrier between like you and your dream job, right? And if I'm poking at the barrier in all these different places, I'm never getting enough momentum or consistency in one place to break through the barrier. The only, the only way to do that is to go narrow and deep and any marketer, any marketer will tell you this, right? If you're advertising to everybody, you're advertising to nobody. If you're out there open to any job that'll come your way, nobody wants you, <laughs> right? I, see, I, my work is I take the people like the ones that you coach mm -hmm. and I'll say to them, what's most important to you in the next job or organization? What will you need to see or hear or feel to believe it's the right choice for you? And I have the expectation that they're going to give me this lengthy list of things from which I'm going to invite them to narrow it down and to prioritize for me up to four things that are most important. Mm -hmm. From there, I'll ask them to to tell me how they'll recognize those things in mm. the course of the interview. So that in this way, you know, it's no surprise. Yes. And surprises in job search, surprises in the process of job hunting are rarely good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're exactly you know, right. No one ever turns around and says, I know you asked for 75, but we're going to offer you 2.2 mil. <laughs> No. Never happens. Uh-uh. Never happens. So yep. for me, I take the work that you do with them, where they're starting to think of their individual values and then try and bring it down to the specifics of the search and how yes. the, and what they're going to be looking for so I can help them identify these things. Now, we've spent a lot of time on values so far. <laughs> and that's fabulous. And I know your process engages in more than that. And we don't have infinite time, obviously. So what's the next part of the process uh, of helping people identify or get clear about what they're going to be looking for? Yes, great question. So our proven trademark process is called the nth degree. It actually has five total steps and I've, we've only really touched on three, but we're you know likely not going to get in depth with all of them. But the goal here is to not only know, but then also to do the part that you're talking about, which is um, engage with the world and share 
right? What, what your clarity is. So the first three steps are now nature and nurture. We've just covered now in, in some decent depth. But what now does when it ends in commitments is it almost creates like uh, an outline or a template for what you're looking for. Like imagine we're, we're making a painting like on a canvas. Every painter, you know, most people don't realize this, actually sketches out on the canvas with like pencil or something what they're gonna paint before they paint. So that's what your commitments are. They're the outline, they're the template. The things that add color and texture are your nature and your nurture. And they're opposite sides of the same coin and they're everything that makes you who you are. So your nature is one side, your nurture is the other. Nature is everything that comes naturally to you. It's the environments you're drawn to, the people you easily engage with, what you're naturally curious about, or um, even your personality, your behaviors, your gifts, right? All those basic things that make you you from a natural perspective. And your nurture is everything else. It's everything that you, I always say, it's everything you put in that God left out. So it's all of your learned knowledge, skills, abilities, expertise. And the cool thing is, and I learned this because after I quit my Wall Street job, which I quit without any uh, plan or job, which I don't recommend. Uh, Bad but I, decision. <laughs> but no, it was the best decision because, I mean, I got out of a really toxic environment and I had a really life affirming experience because the next thing I did was enrolled myself uh, back in school kind of, and I went on a semester at sea which is actually an undergraduate study abroad program, but I went at 25 as a postgrad. And it's really where I learned a lot of the parts of this process because it's where I found myself in a lot of ways, that your nature is just as important and easily leveraged as your nurture. But often when we have a bad experience in our careers, we just wanna throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like I hated finance, I hated working on Wall Street, I'm never gonna do any of that stuff again. Well, the reality is as a business owner, I look at my financial statements all the live long day, all the time. And if I hadn't had two and a half years of working on a trading floor and on a credit desk, I would have no idea what a, you know, a P&L statement and a balance sheet and a cash flow statement even were. So I was that much further up the learning curve when I started my business, thanks to an experience that I never want to have again. So what we do is really help people re-identify with who they are, your nature, and also mine their experience for their unique set of expertise, their nurture. And if you imagine taking those three things, now nature and nurture, and you put them in like a mental Venn diagram, the middle is your niche. It's your career sweet spot. And I always like to say that, you know, for, let's say for Olympic athletes, for instance, Michael Phelps. It's super obvious now why Michael Phelps was an Olympic gold medal level athlete. He had the now nature and nurture that were on point to create that outcome, right? Well, it's just as simple for us to do it. We just have to do it backwards. So we don't have the outcome yet, right? But we have all the puzzle pieces. All you need to do is put them in the framework and like out pops this ideal career Olympic gold medal level sweet spot that's that's the cool thing about this Jeff is that it's so unique to each person because no one person is going to have the exact same now nature and nurture as anybody else but but you know I'm, I'm going to play obviously the devil's advocate do it. what do you got but you know like I got all these things and how do I find the job or the career out of this? You know, uh, I know I like people and I don't like to sell. Selling is not for me. And, and, and there's always lots of excuses that people will offer up and lots of roadblocks. 
And how do you decode that for folks? It's a really good question. <laughs> um, so first, and, and I know that's the secret sauce of what you do. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I think that here's here's the the tough reality, like the tough love mama bear reality, is that you have to want to have work you love, like yes. to work with me, to work with Jeff, to to experience the the results that our best clients experience. You have to want it. Like, I can't want it for them more. I can't, it's like rehab. It's, it, you, you, I can't want the reality, the result of them loving what they do every single day more than they want it. And, and the, the really tough part is that the psychology behind all this is that it's gonna, it's not gonna feel great through the process. And it requires you to, to let go of your previous self and let go of the comfort that is not knowing. It's really comfortable and easy to say, I don't know. It's really comfortable to live in, I would change, I just don't know what I wanna do. I would leave, I just don't know what I wanna do. And people are so afraid to make a mistake. I know, that is. Even though the reality is they're living in, in the life of having made a mistake, that's the mistake that they know versus the next one. That's a great point. It's kind of it's kind of like, and I'll speak from, now. I'll speak from the experience of having been married more than once. Mm -hmm. My third wife and I have been together for twenty years. Mm -hmm. However, there were two previous ones, and <laughs> I didn't have the expectation that I would be married again. And as and as an older adult getting married, you suddenly pause and you go, "Oh my God, I'm gonna do this again," and you start <laughs> telling yourself some remarkable stories about why this is crazy mm. and where you could break down um, the barrier that you place in front of yourself to change suddenly you have the opportunity to experiment again and see what happens and you know 20 years later yeah you know, she's wonderful and, <laughs> right. or I should say remains wonderful or still wonderful and I know she feels the same way about me and no matter the thing for most people is overcoming the fear of the risk of failure. Oh, yeah. Can I, can I address this? Cause I think sure. this is crucial. I 100 and, and a million percent resonate with that fear and I feel it even to this day, five years into a business that's been successful, that has a full-time employee that's not me, that, you know, like every day when I put out something new, it, you almost get numb to it after a while when you do it enough. But the reality is that, and this is the only way that I've found to consistently get past the fear of failure or the fear, in my case, of being wrong. I call it the fear of being wrong. Like I hate making the wrong decision, right? That maybe is my Catholic guilt. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, <laughs> the, the, the only way that I've consistently been able to get past that fear is with logic and with the logic that actually, psychologically, there are only two things you can regret in life. That's it. Two types of regrets. They call them, um, in, the, in the psychology, they call Catholic them- Catholic and Jewish, guys. <laughs> <laughs> they call them um, sins of omission and sins of commission. And all that means is you can, you can regret something you did, or you can regret something you didn't do. That's it. But those are the only two types of regrets, really. And the interesting thing is that the psychology and the research shows that while, while you can deeply regret something that you did, psychologically, it has an outcome. 
so let's say you lied and somebody found out about it and they confronted you and you feel really bad and the outcome was that that friendship was harmed for a little while. That's a simple one. Um, psychologically speaking, our brains love outcomes. They like a beginning, a middle, and an end. They like closed loops, closed circles. And with a regret that you did, sin of commission, you have that. And so you can get over it, you can move past it, life goes on, you might mend the friendship over a while, you forget about it, what have you, right? Here's the scary part. Sins of omission have no resolution. You thought you'd do something, you contemplated it for a while, you didn't do it, and then what happens? You're asking yourself late at night when you can't fall asleep, what if I had, maybe it could have, I should have, would have, whatever, insert anything, said I love you, quit my job, taken that risk, moved into a new city, right? Like anytime we don't do something, it creates an open loop. And while that sounds insidious, it's actually worse because psychologically, your brain for the rest of your life is going to try to close that loop. And that's why we're haunted. That's why the number one regret of the dying is I wish I had had the courage to live a life that was true to me. That is the number one regret of people dying. Number one. The second one is I wish I hadn't worked so much. We can address that later. But the point being that once I realized that psychologically I was better off doing something wrong and having a result than I was not doing anything at all, it fundamentally changed my life. I started like going up to guys in bars and just saying hi, because what if that was my husband or whatever, you know? And then I started taking risks with my business and putting something out before it was ready and asking for beta tests because inevitably there is probably something wrong with it. And I started just making stronger decisions and saying yes to things because I knew that deep down it is more risky to not take a risk than it is to try and quote unquote fail. And every time I've tried and failed, I've learned too, right? We don't learn anything new without having taken action. And, and one of my favorite influencers, Marie Forleo, she says influence, or sorry, she says um, insight comes from action, not thought. And this is not something you can think your way out of. It's something you have to test and try and fail and fall down and, and work hard through if that's really the life that you want. I'm going to do a, a quick little process that I've done with people many times. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's called what's at risk. Mm. And, and the process asks, you know, so you're afraid of getting married. I'm going to pick that one because you mentioned, I don't remember if it was a husband, wife, or partner that you were involved with. So I'll work with husband and work, make the hetero assumption. Um, <laughs> yes, it is a man. You can okay. keep going. <laughs> so what's at risk for you to get married becomes the question. Mm. Well, it might not work out. What What's at risk if that happened? You take them down a decision tree. I'd be alone. So you get to a core point. Yeah. So right now, are you alone? No. Well, let the, let's work with oh, the Oh, yeah, technically, yes, I'm alone. Right. So on the, <laughs> on, the, on the one hand, you're set up that you're afraid of being alone. And on the other uh, hand... You already are. Right. And thus you kind of look at the bind that people create for themselves. Yeah. That basically puts them in the position of damned if they do, damned if they don't. Mm. And thus, you know, asking them the question, 
how do you win under these circumstances? And then inviting them to consider the possibility that there are alternatives in there that they haven't considered where they can definitely get the outcome that they want. So really great. So Tim Ferriss, I don't know if you follow him at all, but uh, you know, everybody does, <laughs> uh, has an amazing Ted talk that he calls, he calls his own process fear setting. Yeah. So right. Instead of setting out like your goals, you set out what, what outcome am I really afraid of if mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z happens? And then he has this whole process for actually mitigating all of those potential risks, which is really fascinating. So he was contemplating, you know, going abroad for like a year and, and was worried that his business would crumble while he was gone. And so he actually went through all these deep, dark scenarios. Like if I'm gone and this happens, what do I do? If I'm gone and this happens, what do I do? And he actually found all these really easy ways to mitigate a lot of the things that he was deeply fearful of just by confronting them. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's, that's a beautiful way to do it. Um, and, and exactly what you're talking about makes a lot of sense because our fears, you know, don't live in, in the present reality. They live in the future or they live in, in the past psychologically, right? Like nothing in the present moment, if you're not actually being attacked by a saber toothed tiger or running away from your mother-in-law or whatever, right? That you're, you're not actually in danger in the moment. All of our fear and our doubt and our hesitation comes from contemplation of the future. And so you have to address it, I think, in order to really understand, is it true? And if it is true, how can I mitigate that risk in some way if, I, if that's the outcome that I really want? Absolutely true. And Tracy, I know we're at a point where we could keep going on forever. Yeah, I know. I love talking. <laughs> and I love asking questions and learning from people. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask one question of you. Sure. Um, what haven't I asked you about so far that we really should cover today to give people the full experience of the nth degree program? Okay, this is a good one. So it wasn't until I was on semester at sea that I first discovered this process that a lot of companies use to develop products and services called um, design thinking. You might be a little familiar with design thinking. If you're not, you should Google it. It's a pretty basic uh, template of how to deeply empathize with a problem, rapidly prototype and iterate potential solution, or define the actual problem, rapidly prototype and iterate solutions, learn from learn from your prototype and implement something and then sort of do the whole process all over again. And what was fascinating is one of the first projects that we did on the ship to practice design thinking was solve a life problem. So I was like, I don't know what I want to do for my career. And so I ran it through design thinking. And what I realized is the nth degree process. Now nature, nurture, the last two steps are network and navigate. So you asked me, right, like, how do you go find that job? Well, you find it through people. Business Insider says 75 to 80% of jobs are secured through networking. So take that home and <laughs> chew on it for a minute. And then you find it through navigation. And the navigation process isn't linear. It's rapidly prototyping, iterating, learning, and going back and redefining the problem. And rapidly prototyping and iterating and going back and redefining until you find your solution. And a lot of people don't like to hear that, but the reality is the only thing that's consistent in life is change. And it, and so I wanted to build a process, right? I wanted to build a process that, that, that leaned into that as opposed to fighting it. Because the huge thing that I, I had a 25-year-old guy on the phone at one of our clarity calls the other day, which is a free call that I, that I offer for people who want to learn more about our programs and see if we're a good fit to work together. And he was like, I feel like I missed my shot. 
Like I feel like a failure. I feel like I can't recover. I feel like, and he had a job. He wasn't unemployed. Um, I feel like I'm 25 years old and I should have had it figured out by now. And, and I'm toast. Like I, I'm, I, I failed at career stuff. And I felt exactly like that when I was 25. And that's just sort of the reality of being 25 in our world right now is there's a lot of pressure to figure things out really fast. But the reality is his life is going to change over and over and over and over. He's going to get married maybe one day. He's going to have kids maybe one day. He's going to have a house one day. He's going to have elderly parents who are aging and sick. He's going to like, there are all these things throughout life that, that evolve our circumstances and thus will evolve our value set. And so there isn't just one, this is the thing that drives me crazy. There isn't just one purpose or passion that you're supposed to find. Like we don't have just one, you're here for one reason and you have to go figure out what it is and there's a possibility that you could die without having figured it out. The reality is at each phase of your life, you have a different purpose. Um, and the nth degree process is set up such that you can do it over and over and over again when your life changes because your life will change. And unless you own that and you engage with it and you make decisions accordingly, then you're always going to be clinging to the past or fighting for this idea of like when life was perfect and ideal. Like for the longest time after I graduated, I wanted to go back to college. I loved college. But even if I did go back, I realized that now I was in a different part of my life where that just didn't resonate the same way anymore. And you're going to find that about jobs. You're going to find that about relationships. You're going to find that about what you feel your passion or your purpose is because as you change, it changes. And, and I just want to tell this one last quick story. I learned this from my therapist of all people. So I went into her and I was How like, dare they? <laughs> she's amazing. I, I went into her this one time and was like, Diana, I figured out what my core like message of my company is going to be. And she's like, Oh, what is it? I'm like, and I think this is genius, right? I'm like, do what you were created for. Like, you know, we all have purpose. We all have a meaning. Like, and, and, and now we just define, like, do what you were created for. And I know people are going to love it. She was like, I don't like it. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean you don't like it? She's like, well, what do you mean like what you're created for? Because right now my daughter's getting married and I feel like I was created at this moment in my life to be like the best mother of the bride ever. And I was like, okay, that's fair. She, what's wrong with that? She's like, well, what's wrong with that is that she's going to get married and I'm going to no longer be the mother of the bride. So then I, what, does that mean I don't have a purpose anymore? And as soon as she said that, I realized this, this is just like massive epiphany came through that, that we don't have just one purpose. Our job is to figure out what's my purpose now, right? What aligns, and that, that's what aligned with her values. It's what aligned with her nature. It's what aligned with her nurture in that moment in life such that she could live her purpose in that moment, in that season, and then be open to changing it later on. So that's what I want to leave people with is like the nth degree will result in knowing what your niche is right now. But that doesn't mean you're done. Doesn't mean I'm done. My business changes constantly and your career is going to change constantly just with as much as your purpose and your passions are. It's so funny. I'm so glad you told that story because it prompted me to write down, be great and celebrate. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Because most people are embarrassed to share what's in them. They're afraid for fear of being shot down. Now, for me personally, the notion of being in front with something has meaning for me. I know other people it wouldn't. Certainly, if you're an introvert, this may be a very hard challenge 
mm-hmm. or a mantra to repeat. But for me, it resonated. So thank you for the story. And tell me, how can people find out more about you, the work that you do, the nth degree, the, um, the, the workshop that you do, yada, yada, yada. How can yeah. they find out more? So anytime you want to find anything generic, my name's Tracy Tim. The process is called the nth degree. You can Google either of those ideas. You'll find plenty of stuff. Uh, But what I wanted to set up for viewers and listeners of this particular show is a place where you can go and find all these resources in one place. So if you just go to tracytim.com. Spell your name. T-R-A-C-Y-T-I-M-M.com slash no BS, just N-O-B-S. That's it. And you'll find a link to download our Career Clarity Starter Kit. You can find a link to jump on our next webinar that's all about how to take your career from stuck to unstoppable. Or if if this message is really resonating with you and you're like, this is the right girl, this is the right time, this is the right process, then just go ahead and register for a clarity call with me and we'll hop on the phone for an hour and we'll figure out if we're a good fit to work together. But either way, all of that information and then a lot of the notes of what we talked about here today will just live at tracytin.com slash no BS. Thank you. So that's today's show. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, I've got a lot that's in the show notes that will help you. Go there. Take a look at some of the things I highlight. I know it can help you with your search. But I want you to do one thing for me. And that is put in your phone, thebiggamehunter.us, Jeff Alpin, my name. And when you need help, when you need advice, when you have a question, come over to the website, go exploring in the blog, contact me for coaching or because you have a question, I'd love to help you. In the meantime, I hope you have a terrific day and most importantly, be great! (laughs) 